gestalt is typically a longer phrase level type piece of language, but it can also be a single word. But gestalt basically means a word or phrase that holds one meaning. So for example, a child may pick up the gestalt to infinity and beyond. And for them, that holds the meaning of let's go or I'm excited. So it's kind of a string of language that holds a singular meaning. Um, but kids that learn language this way pick up typically a lot of phrase level stuff. Hey there, and welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. My name is Benita Litvak, and I am so grateful you're here. I'm an ASHA certified speech language pathologist, author, and augmentative and alternative communication consultant who is obsessed with helping SLPs like you stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other SLPs in the trenches. Have you ever wondered how other SLPs seem to be doing it all with ease? Well, around here, you'll get to hear firsthand how SLPs are really getting things done while keeping evidence-based practice and self-care in mind. Think of this as a coffee date with your SLP friends. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while we learn together. Today, I'm joined by Katya Piscatelli, a speech therapist and owner of Total Spectrum Speech Therapy, Inc., located in Sacramento, California. Katya specializes in working with autistic students and gestalt language processors. Katya is dedicated to learning from autistic voices and sharing the knowledge gained, as well as knowledge from her own clinical experience with her audience on Instagram at Boho Speechy. Katya, thank you so much for coming. Does that bio cover everything or is there anything else you wanted to share before we dive into our topic about gestalt language processing? Uh, yeah, I think that about covered it. Thank you. Great. So for anybody that has not been following long or wants to learn more, how would you describe gestalt language? Yeah, so there's two ways to learn language. Most of us have been taught analytic processing style. If we're speech therapists, this is likely what you were taught in school. So there's analytic and then there's gestalt processing style. So with analytic, kids learn single words and then learn how to combine them into two word phrases and then they start speaking sentences and so on. So it's kind of that more typical grammar development that we, most people understand at least in a, at a basic level. Gestalt language is sort of an opposite process. Um, most autistic students are gestalt language processors, but non-autistic people can be as well, but it's very prevalent in autistic people. And with gestalt processors, they start by learning gestalts. A gestalt is typically a longer phrase level type piece of language, but it can also be a single word. But gestalt basically means a word or a phrase that holds one meaning. So for example, a child may pick up the gestalt to infinity and beyond. And for them, that holds the meaning of let's go or I'm excited. So it's kind of a string of language that holds a singular meaning. Um, but kids that learn language this way pick up typically a lot of phrase level stuff. So this is kids that are often labeled as echolalic or say they use scripting. They often pick up a lot of this phrase level stuff to start off with. And then over time, they break down these phrases into single words and then and only then can they take single words and build grammar. Analytic processors do from the start. So 
analytic and gestalt. Analytic, they start with single words and build from there. Gestalt, they kind of start with these larger chunks and break them down over time. So it's somewhat opposing processes, you could say. Yeah, that's as basic of a rundown that I can give about it, I think. No, that was great. I think it was very straightforward and clear. And would you say that there's maybe two extra steps for gestalt language processors before they hit the same type of process that like analytic language processors do? Yeah, exactly. First, these gestalt processors have to build up a big repertoire of gestalt, and then they have to start breaking them down into chunks mixing and matching these more kind of language chunks. And then from there, pulling out these single words. So they really, yeah, they have to go through two separate stages before they arrive at that single word stage, which explains why a lot of these students need help to move through this process where some analytic processors might be able to move more quickly into grammar. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. So how can we support kids who are guest art language processors and use echolalia? Yeah, I think some big overarching ideas are one to understand that they are learning language differently. So it really is a, a different process and we have to treat it as such. A big issue that I see in the field is SLPs who are unaware of Gestalt language. So we're treating these Gestalt language processors as analytic processors. We're focusing on single words. We're focusing on building grammar before they're ready for that. So really just recognizing that they're learning language differently is the first step. And then from there, if the child is using a lot of echolalia scripting, the biggest thing we want to do is start by affirming their language. So repeat back what they're saying to you, or at least acknowledge that you're you're hearing and, and listening to it. A lot of gestalt processors, I think, kind of get stuck because... We're often told to ignore scripting or not treat it as not meaningful, but it, it really is meaningful. It's, it's how these kids are learning and expressing language at the beginning. So affirming it and acknowledging it is the big first step. And then from there, modeling gestalts for them. So really just modeling language openly, often at the phrase level and giving them new gestalts or scripts to pick up because that's really the first step in this process is gaining a lot of gestalts so then they can later break them down. Yeah, so recognizing they learn differently, affirming the scripting, and then modeling new gestalts or scripts for them, I think is really the the biggest overarching way we can support these kids. Yeah, no, those are great suggestions. And so I just had Laura Hayes on for Lunch and Learn recently to talk about like AAC and gestalt language processing. And one of the things she was saying, which really stood out, was that if anyone can take anything away from that particular presentation, whether, there, you know, there's not a ton of research that some people would say is enough for them to feel like they can adopt it. But what the biggest thing that she was saying is that if anything acknowledge, start by acknowledging because we are supposed to accept all forms of communication, right? So why would we ignore the form of communication that a child is using, whether it is echolalia scripting or not? This would be the equivalent of working with an analytic language processor and ignoring their attempts at communication, whether it's like babbling or approximations, 
just blatantly ignoring them because we don't accept them as the communication that we want them to use. So because guess what language processors are communicating in a different way, the best thing that we can do is to acknowledge it. And I'm sure you can totally attest to this. As soon as you start acknowledging and affirming their gestalt, it's wow, you've totally tapped into their world. And there's you start to get that back and forth that you would see with as someone who's an analytic language processor. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Affirming anything, any type of that you're getting is going to be huge. And I think it can be confusing with Gestalt language because oftentimes Gestalt or scripts seem really off topic, unrelated to what's going on. So you think, oh, that must not be communicative. They must just be you know, stimming or something along those lines. But once we get used to affirming it, then we can go deeper and try to figure out the underlying meaning. Typically, gestalts are not um, supposed to be taken at surface level. So for example, with the to infinity and beyond example, trying to go deeper and figure out what is my child trying to express when they're saying to infinity and beyond or when they're singing the Coco Melon Boo Boo song. Most gestalts have an underlying meaning. So yeah, we can start with with affirming and then go deeper from there and really try to do that underlying work to to figure out what our students are really trying to express to us. Absolutely. Yeah. And like with the to infinity and beyond example, that doesn't mean that they want to go and then watch Toy Story, right? Which is what oftentimes happens. And then you get a a breakdown in communication because that's not actually what they were intending to communicate. So that's a really good example. And then I've heard, I've had people ask me personally, what about the child that actually seemed completely nonverbal? And so actually one of my first um, guest thought language processors that I've worked with when I knew about the, this type of learning, there was no verbal speech. It was just a lot of the humming and tunes to songs and the tune of something we had just said. So I can relate to that. But do you have any examples of this? I'm sure you've had clients that started there as well. And advice for people, I guess, if they encounter that. Yeah. First, I guess some signs that a non-speaking or minimally speaking student might be a Gestalt language processor. One, I mean, if they're autistic, we can almost assume that they are a Gestalt processor. So I would definitely keep it in the back of your mind anyways, that it's a possibility. Two, you mentioned with music, most Gestalt processors are very musical. They're very much in tune with the intonation of language. So the more intonation that language has, the more attracted they are to it. So hence why they pick up on songs. And a lot of non-speaking students will be really attracted to music. So that might mean that they just really enjoy listening to the same songs over and over again. Or maybe they are, you said with your student, humming songs. Even if you can't understand the words, you can pick out the intonation. That is a big sign that they are a gestalt processor if they're kind of producing this intonational phrases that maybe sound like a song or maybe sound like something from a movie and you can't pick out the words, but you can still hear the same intonation every time. That kind of repetitiveness is a good sign that they're trying to use gestalts. They're just not intelligible yet. Another sign is if they're, they're look at their media usage, if they're watching the same portion of a video every time. They might be trying to communicate with that or they might just be really drawn to that certain 
intonation of that particular song or or video and a lot of gestalt processors take in media that way. Yeah, there's there's quite a few signs, but with supporting them, I'm always almost always suggesting AAC. So and it sounds you've covered that topic recently. So definitely suggest listening to that one. If you're working with non-speaking students or have a non-speaking child, AAC is going to be huge as well as just modeling phrase level stuff, modeling gestalts, but perhaps shorter gestalts because often kids who are non or minimally speaking may have trouble accessing verbal language. So if we make it shorter and more accessible, they might be able to coordinate it easier and access it faster over time. So short gestalts like look or let's go or wow or again, gestalts don't have to be this long sentence. So that's something that I suggest as well as really tuning into to music and um maybe trying to sing songs or model songs that are related to whatever you're doing. You can totally make it up, but the more consistent with it you are, the better. Because if these children are really in tune to pick up on music, maybe they will start singing your brushing teeth song when they're like trying to initiate getting ready for bed and you can pick up on that as communication. So leaning into to music, if that's where they're inclined, can be a huge help. Yeah, hopefully that covered that. Yeah, those are all like amazing suggestions. And I think it kind of broke down even further. What is Gestalt language? You basically explained these are signs to look out for. So I think that was super helpful. And I want to thank you for clarifying the term that I use, because as I said it and it came out of my mouth, I was like, this isn't the right one, but I was having word finding difficulties. So non-speaking and non-verbal are not the same thing. So I, I appreciate you mentioning that because I think that's a good distinction as well. Like, my client was not nonverbal. They were just non-speaking. There was a lot that they were communicating and just in different ways. So I think that that was another sign as well. Yeah. And with nonverbal versus non-speaking, it's more so just a difference in in language. Most people, when they say nonverbal, they mean non-speaking. But I just in listening to the autistic community, most autistic um, people prefer non-speaking because non-verbal kind of makes the assumption that they don't have language, where most non-speaking kids have language and communication. They just don't yet use oral words. So it's kind of just a distinction that way. That's more neurodiversity affirming. But yeah. No, it's important. And I'm glad that we were to like talk about it here in case that anybody else come, you know, is encountering that as well or has not heard that from the autistic community. So thank you. So let's talk about the four main stages that these students move through. Yeah, so I kind of skimmed over this, but gestalt processors go through four main stages. So the first one being this delayed echolalia or scripting, as a lot of people will refer to it. So this is where they're using gestalts to communicate. They're using a lot of delayed echolalia. So this might be songs. It might be phrases from movies. It might be words or phrases that they're hearing from other people. It might be lines from books, but they're really, they're producing gestalts, which is these 
chunks of language and it's very much delayed echolalia. So it's not their own grammar. They're repeating something either immediately or minutes, days, weeks later. So they kind of are building up this bank of gestalts or these delayed echolalic phrases that they're using to communicate. From there, once they have enough of those, they start to mix and match them. So that's stage two. And it's an exciting stage because they're able to use language a little more flexibly. They're able to better express what they want to express and be a little bit more on topic. So for example, if they had a gestalt, an original stage one gestalt that said, let's go to the park. Maybe now they can break it down and take this let's go chunk and change it to let's go to the movies or let's go to the house. So this stage two is not totally their own language, but it's a little more flexible. They're able to take pieces, chunks of this gestalt, chunks of this gestalt, and move them around in different ways. And kids get really creative with this stage often. It it can be difficult to determine whether it is really them moving chunks of language around or it is totally their own grammar because it can get really creative. But that's kind of the the gist of stage two is really um, moving these chunks around to create new combinations. Hope you're enjoying this episode so far. So if you follow along on Instagram, then you might have seen my announcement earlier this year about finishing the Meaningful Speech course. One of my private AAC clients discovered the course through a friend and we started using the natural language acquisition or NLA strategies for stage one in our sessions along with an AAC device. In only a few sessions, we started seeing more varied and functional scripts in our language samples and this prompted me to finish the course to understand the later stages. Now, I'm proud to say that you can find my information listed under the Meaningful Speech Registry, and I'm on a mission to spread the word because this course is absolutely vital for anyone working with Gestalt language processors, and I'll explain why. So if you're on the fence, I totally get it. I was too in the beginning. Actually, some people might have said I was completely against it in the beginning, but I am a firm believer in honoring all forms of communication and learning more about what I don't know, because obviously I don't know everything and our field is constantly changing and research is showing us new best practices. And if clients are finding it valuable, then I think it's important that I learn more about it. So in terms of research, It shows that AAC methods can be effective when caregivers respond consistently and contingently to their children's communication attempts. And that's Branson and Dimchuk in 2005. And really, echolalia and scripts are communication. It's a form of communication. So they should be honored and they should be responded to consistently and contingently. When you start honoring your client's communication attempts, no matter what form they are in, you are acknowledging that what they say matters. So if you're open to learning more, now it's the time because you can save 20% on the brand new AAC and GLP course until February 17th. Or if you just want to start at the beginning like I did, you can save 5% off the original Meaningful Speech course using my code VENITA, V-E-N-I-T-A, all caps. And as an added bonus and a way to say thank you for using my link, check out this episode description or the show notes to get your direct link. 
I'll send you the AAC and GLP webinar interview I recently did with Laura Hayes at AAC Innovations, who is also the co-author on the new AAC and GLP course through Meaningful Speech. As long as you email your receipt to me at Vanita at speechysideup.com, I'll send you that webinar. And then just note that if you make a purchase through this link, I will receive a commission. The Speechy Side Up podcast will always be free to listen. And that's because podcast sponsorships and your use of affiliated links make this possible. Once they're doing that, a lot of the time, over 50% of the time, they're going to start pulling out single words. And that's stage three. And that is really the first time that they are operating very similarly to an analytic processor. They're able to take single words and start to combine them and create their own grammar. So it's a really exciting stage. And it's a stage that sounds very different than before because now we're hearing single words or we're hearing kind of experimental grammar instead of these longer delayed echolalic scripts. So it sounds very different in nature, but it's an exciting time because it kind of is the the beginning of them being able to say whatever they want and build their own grammar. So stage three is pulling out nouns and descriptive words. So maybe ball, red ball, ball, round, that kind of thing. So just these early combinations. And then from there, they move on to stage four, which is experimental grammar. It's their own grammar. They start using pronouns and verbs. And from there, they just, we we help them to to gain more and more complex grammar until they're speaking, you know, as anyone else would, they're producing their own grammar and and saying whatever they, but just to note that most Gestalt processors are often in many, if not all of the stages at once. So it's not, they're moving solidly from one stage to the next. And most autistic adults will still use stage one delayed echolalia. They, they will likely still have Gestalts in their repertoire that they use and many will share that they kind of revert back to stage one or using more of this delayed echolalia in times of stress or overwhelm because it's just more easy to access than grammar production is. So yeah, once a Gestalt language processor, always a Gestalt language processor, but they really do operate very similarly to analytic processors once they're at this um, stage four and beyond. So yeah. Thank you for breaking that down. Again, that was a very nice, clear overview of the stages. And you brought up a really good point. And I'm smiling while you're saying it. A couple of things like stage three, I'm in that with my client right now. And it's just so awesome to see like how the progress is going. And then also the fact that they're not exclusively in one stage at a time. It's not they are just in stage one, then just in stage two and just in stage three. And I know that Alex from Meaningful Speech is language samples, language samples, language samples. And I can see why now, because you think you're in one stage and then you do the language sample and you're like, oh, okay. It just makes it so much more clear. But it's funny, you'll be 10% in the stage one and 58% stage two. And that means now we can move to stage three. It's just so cool to see it, but it can be confusing because you're like, wait, was that a four? But we're like at stage two, but that was really awesome. So yeah, it's really a fun process to move through for sure. Yeah. Sometimes those stage three and fours pop out even when the child still needs assistance in stage one and two. Yeah. It's interesting. 
Yeah, no, I love it. Awesome. Okay, so what are your tips for working with Gestalt language processors who need AAC? My biggest tips are just programming Gestalts into the device because AAC devices are made for analytic processors. They're single words typically. So creating either a separate folder that has general gestalts, like let's go, I'm hungry, this is fun, and also gestalts that are more tailored to the students, maybe particular phrases from media that they like or particular things that they say or, you know, objects or activities that they're going to want to request. So just creating a gestalt folder or dispersing these gestalts throughout the device in their related categories. Maybe in, on the food page you have, I'm hungry, let's eat, let's get more, for example. So whatever way you're going to do it, adding gestalts if the child is in Sage 1-2 is going to be really helpful and kind of the biggest tip. And then really using the the features that many have, which allows you to record your voice. Oftentimes I'll record characters or media clips for the students who are really into that. And it can be a really good way to get buy into using the device and just often a, a main form of communicating for a lot of my students who are still in stage one. So yeah, I've had students who communicate with me using short clips from Barney that have communicative meaning to them. So there's a lot of things we can do with AAC and Gestalt. And like you said, there's not research on it yet. So there's lots more we'll learn, I'm sure. But meaningful Alex from Meaningful Speech is launching an AAC and Gestalt course next week. So that will be really cool. And I'm excited to take that. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited for that. What are your thoughts on, I'm a big core vocabulary person, but, you know, learning more about Gestalt language processing and just how to approach core vocabulary has been an interesting, I guess, journey for me and using that with my clients and educating other speech language pathologists who take my AAC programs. But what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on like core vocabulary kind of at each of those stages? Yeah. Yeah. My general advice is not to change up the, the AAC system as it comes. So keep the core on the front page. Don't really change up the front page, just maybe add a Gestalt folder. So more so adding, not subtracting, because at some point, once the student is in stage three, four, they're going to need access to those single words and that core. But I do have a lot of Gestalt processors who still do use more so the fringe vocab, like finding, you know, single words to express their foods that they want or items that they want. So I definitely wouldn't recommend just creating a phrase-based system, but more so having access to both and modeling a mixture of both and just letting the child kind of take the lead on, on what sticks for them. Yeah, no, that's definitely key because that is something that, you know, people in this field talk about a lot or in this area talk about a lot, just making sure that it's individualized and even with my own client, I recognized that some gestalts that we would model never got picked up and we would just tweak it a little bit, knowing kind of what they would be interested in saying. And then it got picked up immediately. So I thought that that was really interesting too. And I, I'm it's a case study, right? But that's kind of the consensus that I've been hearing is that we can't go in with, we're going to use these, model these gestalts, and these are the ones that are going to stick. You kind of have to tweak it a little bit if it's not working. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's what I about AAC as well is oftentimes the gestalts that I'm modeling verbally won't get picked up. But then when I'm modeling them in the character's voice, they're picked up or used by the client. So yeah, there's that as well. But yeah. That's so, that's such a good point. And like, I'll just, I want to say one last thing that I'm finding like super interesting right now. So I told you we're in stage three, right? There was a period in time, even though we added guest alts to the device, the client was doing so well verbally with the guest alts that I think they didn't, maybe they didn't see the need to use the device, but we always had it accessible. We always modeled on it. And now that the client's in stage three, they're actually using it even more. They're really doing a lot of the babbling and playing with the single words independently. And then we're providing context to those words. So the fact that we don't have a lot of research on like the progression of doing natural language acquisition with AAC, it's just been this learning process for us. And I thought that that was super fascinating. And I hope more research comes out soon to see, is that actually kind of what would happen with other clients as well? Yeah. And I've seen a lot of clients who their uh, oral words and then their AAC use are kind of mismatched in stages. I'll have a lot of students who sound like they're only in stage one, but then when I give them a device, they're really producing stage threes and fours. So it, it's interesting that it can yeah. kind of... I've, seen a lot in some students a lot more of their own grammar and productions when they're accessing the device versus verbally and I don't really have an explanation for that but yeah so many cool things that I'm learning and excited to like you said do kind of more individual case studies about and yeah yeah that's awesome well this has been amazing Katya thank you so much so if people are not already following you where can they find and connect with you yeah, mainly on Instagram at Boho Speechy, Speechy with an IE at the end, and then my website for private practice and consults and such is totalspectrumtherapy.org. Amazing. And you're in California, right? Do you see other states as well? Are you licensed in other states? Just California, but I have employees in other states, Florida, okay. Texas. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'm in Florida. <laughs> so. But that's awesome. Well, thank you so much again. It's always nice to hear like different perspectives on this topic and kind of see how they all converge. And it's definitely in line with other speakers we've had on the topic. But I think one person says it this way, it makes more sense. So, so glad that we were able to have you on it. Uh, if you're not following her on Instagram, I highly, highly recommend it. One of the things that I really love that you do is you'll give example gestalt, stage one gestalts and sample goals, which I also appreciate. So thank you for both of those. And your reels are great too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being there. All right. So until next time, thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, have you joined the SSU crew yet? By joining, you get access to the free good section on our website, plus podcast updates, special event notifications, and therapy inspiration. You can sign up at bit.ly slash join SSU crew, all lowercase, or just find the link in this episode description. Also, don't forget to take a screenshot of this episode so that you can always refer back to it and share it on social media if you really love the topic. Take care and remember to always fill your speechy side cup first before you can pour into others.